I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Dom here. Welcome to my podcast. This episode is brought to you by a couple of fantastic Kiwi companies, Radix Nutrition and Generate Kiwi Saver. Coming up, Rob Mokadaka. So, you know, the, the police officer did say, don't take another step. And I took that step. So I uh, got that 9 millimeter bullet into me, ripped through my internal organs, dropped me, and I realized I made a terrible mistake. This is usually the point where I bring the music in, but I think I'll talk without music to get this message out there. This episode needs to come with a big warning. This is a dark episode. It's ugly in parts, brutally ugly. But I still feel like these are not topics that we should shy away from because life's not always beautiful. It can and it will be bleak at times. Rob Mokadaka is a mental health advocate who is doing incredible work educating people through his own harrowing story. His life looks a lot different now to how it did in July 2009. That was when he had a rock-bottom moment where he decided to end his own life in one of the most violent ways imaginable. At any point during this podcast, if you feel the need to speak to a professional, either for yourself or for someone you care about, there is a list of resources in the description for this episode which I urge you to use. Remember, it's not weak to speak. There's a line that I really like. Asking for help is not giving up. It's refusing to give up. Massive thanks to my sponsors, Radix and Generate, for their support in making these conversations possible. I am so incredibly lucky. These are two Kiwi-owned companies who reached out to me about podcast collaborations. Look, I'm not your mum. I can't tell you what to do. But it would mean a lot to me if you backed the businesses who have taken a leap of faith with this new and innovative way of marketing by backing a podcast. This podcast has grown in ways that I could never have foreseen this year. And a lot of that is because of the backing of Radix Nutrition, which are, in my opinion, the best thing to come out of the Waikato since the Chiefs. And their products are the tastiest thing to come out of the Waikato since Richard Kahui. Again, my opinion. I've tasted the entire Radix range. I've never actually tasted Richard Kahui. But boy, he looks delicious. I start every day with a Radix protein shake. Their products are world class. And this is the honest truth. Even if they stopped sponsoring the podcast, I would continue using their products because they are that good. Check them out. RadixNutrition.co.nz That's R-A-D-I-X. And the newest podcast sponsor, Generate KiwiSaver, who are now officially my KiwiSaver provider. I switched over as a way of thanking them for the support, and it was easier and quicker than I expected, and totally pain-free. Actually, form-free as well. All I needed was some ID and my IRD number. Learn more for yourself at generatewealth.co.nz. There you will find a copy of their product disclosure statement and the issuer is Generate Investment Management Limited. Okay, let's get into the episode. Rob Mokadaka on the Dom Harvey Podcast. Hey brother. Hey, thank you so much for coming over and joining me on my podcast. Bro, thanks for inviting me in. Appreciate it bro. Oh, you've, got a, you've got a hell of a story. Um, 
I actually don't have any questions for this for this podcast, but I thought I thought we'd just work in. Um, I mean, it's just such a such a unique and terrifying story. I feel like if we just go in chapters, I'll just follow my nose. Um, I thought we we could start on the day, yeah. which is uh, July two thousand and nine. Yeah. Um, then we'll go to the the lead up. Um, you know, yeah. growing up, the moments that led to that moment, um, the recovery and court case, and then um, rebuilding Rob. Yeah, and where you're at now. Yeah, great. Four chapters. Okay, so first of all, can I say, um, July 2009, I was living in a suburb um, not far from where we are now called uh, Westmere, which is like Close. one suburb over from Point Chef. So when this came on the news, it sort of captivated me, and I'd never, ever heard uh, before that moment of the phrase suicide by cop. Had never heard it before. Yeah. And that was you, that was you on the news. So yeah. talk, talk us through that day. So I had a very public mental and spiritual breakdown. Um, I'd broken up from a relationship. It was unhealthy, and um, and I, I helped destroy that even more. And it blew up, and I thought, um, I'll, give, I'll, I'll get even clearer. I To get out of this crazy relationship, I did something even more crazier and stupid, and I went and slept with somebody else to make sure it really exploded. Oh, so self-destruct. Self-destruct. Yeah. I wanted it to really ex- explode. And um, I called the police on myself. I called the police on myself because I thought I was the biggest pile of crap in the world. No one will ever forgive me for all the things that I'd compiled. I built a case against myself. And all the floodgates from the past just burst open. So it's like the past, present, future is all converging all at once. And you're hurt, scared, angry, confused. And I thought, I don't want to be alive. And I thought, I know, I've seen police shoot Māori on the news, right or wrong. I'm a Māori. This should be easy. And I thought I deserved a violent death. So I called the police up, brother. Called them on myself. And um, ended up being shot in the chest at close range by provoking the police to shoot me dead. (sighs) I mean, the the whole thing is just awful. And there's so much to unpack here. Um, you, yeah, I've heard the one one one. I'm sorry for laughing. No, I, I've heard right. the one 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 call. You've got you're wearing a t-shirt now that says "shot, bro." Yeah. Uh, for anyone that wants to watch your play or do, play documentary, documentary. What you, yeah, it's on YouTube. You can just look up "shot, bro." And you'll find it. It starts with the one 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 call, yeah. and then the video footage. It's it's very difficult to watch, but. You hear the call. You you call yourself and you describe yourself, and you're wearing um, like costume camouflage gear. Well, I'm wearing World War Two trousers from a theatre show that I co-wrote and co-acted in, and I'm wearing a Air Force Army trench coat, which a good friend of mine gave to me as a present. So I'm looking like somebody's having a massive mental breakdown. It looks pretty crazy, dressed in military regalia. Mm. So I was pretty much dressing the part and freaking the police out. Yeah. So so you had a, a knife in one hand, and in the other hand you had like a ladle covered with a tea towel. Tea towel. So they'd, so they'd think that was a gun. Yeah. So I had a, yeah, it was a meat cleaver and a soup ladle wrapped in a tea towel, and I went out there wanting to be just. I just wanted it to end, and I wanted this hurt to stop in my mind, and so you know the the police officer did say don't take another step, and I took that step. And guess what happens when you take that step when they say don't take another step? So I uh, got that 9mm bullet into me, ripped through my internal organs, dropped me, and I realised I made a terrible mistake. Yeah, and you can hear that in the, the, in the, the footage because there were camera crews that made it there in time. You were, you, were so, you were yelling out over and over again, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I've had quite a few people ask me, well, who are you sorry to, Rob? And I had to think about it, and I was like, I think I was sorry to the policeman, or I was freaking out. Mm. I was sorry to everybody I may have hurt in my life growing up. It was just all these sorries compounded from childhood. So, so just going back a little bit, so the, the police turn up, then how long is, is that whole interaction? I don't know. Time, right. time is just right. blurred. Right, so, you, so you hear this, you're in the house, you hear the sirens that you called on yourself, and then you come out on the street? So I called the police and I was wondering, on myself, uh, and I was wondering why no one has come into the house. In my mind, they're going to burst and blow me away, and that's the end of Rob. Yeah. But no one was coming in the house, and I was getting frustrated, so I went outside onto the street, and um, yeah, that's where they were outside, because I did call them. Mm-hmm. And they're half hour away from you, so you're on the street, one's hiding behind a tree, yes. one's hiding behind the police car. Like yeah. 20 metres, 15 metres? Oh, it's, yeah, around about 15 metres. Right. And they're not that far away, brothers. And, and so. And do they, do, they, do they try and negotiate with yes, you? Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this, this police officer's trying to reach out to me and ask me what my name is and trying to reach out. But I'm in this full storm. I call it the storm of suicidal ideation where I was like, don't try and reach out to me. And I actually, I think I may have said my name. I did say my name, actually. And so I called, said my name. What's your name? I said my name. It's like, and it's got my other inner voice, which is all in shop representation. And my mm, inner voice going, mm. my inner critic or my inner tanifa saying, why the hell did you tell him your name? And basically, it was kind of like I was trying to reach out through the mm. through the storm myself. But he did warn me. They said, what's in the Tito? I said, you know what's in the Tito? They said, don't take another step. I took that step and bang. Shot in the chest at close range. Um, yeah. But it missed your vital organs. No, it cut through my organs. Right. And it was stuck inside of me, so they couldn't find it. How, how, are you not, how did you not die? That's a great question. That's a great <laughs> question. There must be like a purpose, right? There's got to be That's a reason. Absolutely. And so my grandmother, she's from the Hokianga, so very much a Hokianga Catholic. Mm. She said, you know, I gave you the Archangel Michael medal, and um, he, it's because of I gave you this medal, you're alive. And whatever the reasons are, it's, it's to give me a second chance. And with that second chance, I'm, no go, I'm going around Australasia to communities and organisations to – Normalise this conversation using humour and lived experience to open up those very heavy, crunchy doors we're uncomfortable mm. about addressing. Yeah, bro. And the, the work you've done since this happened, the darkest day of your life, um, uh, it's incredible. It's inspirational and it's phenomenal. And I guess I, I wonder if that's the purpose that you survived. I, 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 I feel it is. Yeah. I definitely feel it is. Uh, I was at a mental health grassroots conference in Hastings, and I was I presented, and one of the other presenters came up to me. He literally rolled up to me in a wheelchair. His name is Wayne Forrest. He's a really good man. And he rolled up to me after listening to me, and he said, he looked up at me and he said, you know, that happened to you f- for a reason. And part of that reason is for you to send this message out to people. Yeah. And I didn't know his story. I looked at this man in a wheelchair and I was thinking, what happened to him? And then I get to his, hear his story about a rugby-playing farmer who went into a tackle, rugby mm. tackle, and never came out of it. So everyone's got a story. It's just, I suppose, the key thing I'm meeting from people who have gone through trauma is from the ashes, hope rises. Yeah. And it's creating hope in different communities. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so... So, so you, you, so you get shot. So you're lying on the ground, repeatedly shouting out, "I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry." Um, th- then what happens? Do you black out? You pass out? 
No, I'm still right because the, the bullet is searing my internal organs. It's on fire. Yeah, because I, I would say you're, you're, you're the only person I'll ever have the privilege of speaking to that's been shot on the chest and survived. So, yeah, describe that pain. Uh, yeah, once again, quite a few people have asked that question. <laughs> what does it feel like? It's like having a hot iron poker in the fire and then someone stabs it inside of you and it doesn't stop burning. So it's like sizzling your internal organs. So the, 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 the suicidal storm that's going in my mind is now overridden by the burning internal organs. <laughs> so now it's like, oh, I'm, that's not a problem. But the problem's down here now, brother. And I am just like, I am just in a whole world of pain in a mm. different way. And from that, from the healing process, I've met a lot of people and I realize, meeting lots of different people around Australasia, is that people don't want to kill themselves. They just want the hurt to stop up here. 100%. And, Absolutely. And I, uh, yeah, I'm one of those people who yeah. survived that and a lot of people don't. So I'm very blessed to get a second chance at life. Mm. So, so, so when you're, you're down on the road saying, I'm so sorry over and over again, searing pain in your chest, do the cops come up and check, check on you or do oh, they yeah, keep it? Yeah, yeah, the cops come up yeah. and one officer compresses my wound. I'm in so much pain, that bullet is like so, it's like burning. It's on, a, I don't know, what the angle of the bullet and it's so intensely painful. And I remember a police officer come down and compress the wound. He compressed the wound and it just eased the, the burning for just a little bit, just enough for me to breathe. And I ended up meeting that policeman. So that wasn't the one that shot you. That was his No, partner. this is another guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's another story to this. Yeah. So that, that, that police officer who compressed my wound, we invited him to shot bro years later because he contacted my agent. Just wanted to say, hey, look, I saw a, I saw a, a short interview with you and I just want to commend you for how far you've come. I went, oh, who's this again? Well, I'm the officer who compressed your wound. <laughs> and I was like, wow. wow. So, yeah, his job, I just, a lot of people don't know this. He told me once he watched Shop Bro, it was at Juani Waititi Kurakopapa Marae at the school, and he came and watched. And he watched Shop Bro and he was blown away just by, he didn't know what the background story was. And he said, Well, I'm glad you didn't point that Tito at me. And I said, Why is that? Because I was hiding in the bushes with an assault rifle. If you, if that officer missed, my job was to finish you off. So everything happened in the right form in the right way yeah, for you, a reason for a reason for me to still be alive and to meet that officer and give him an apology letter from me to the officer who pulled the trigger who i provoked and it's an apology letter handwritten with all my contact details because he said look if you really want to get in contact with him give me give me that letter because i went through official channels to try and apologize yeah nothing yeah. but anyway through this officer this um that policeman who i provoked to shoot me has gotten my Full apology, but he, as far as you know, then he hasn't sort of accepted it. I don't know. I, yeah. The main thing is, I know he's got it. Yeah, yeah. and I, I, I met. Fre- I've got friends who are in the police. I've got cousins, and they said, "Well, that dude will be pretty messed up." Yeah. And, um, yeah. Can you can you yeah. imagine? I, I'm, I'm sure. You, I don't want to dwell on this because I, I know you feel like shit about this. Um, but yeah, like, can you imagine just the hell it would created for his life had he killed you? Well. Yep, and look at it mm. this way. We had a, a rangatira at that Huani Waititi uh, presentation of Shopper, and he said everybody was doing their job on the day. You yeah. were doing your job. That policeman was doing his job. The policeman who sup- compressed your wound, he was doing his job. So if you take the emotion out, everybody was doing their job, and it's a crazy job. Mm. And um, thankfully, 
I'm alive to be able to apologise to that police officer and the other officer who compressed my wound. Yeah, yeah, it's good. So, um, so you don't do you pass that at all before the ambulance? No, I'm. Oh, you're coherent the whole time. I'm like burning. I'm like I'm a sausage sizzle lying down on the ground. (laughs) I'm like I'm like at my own barbecue, and it's an internal barbecue. Um, and I, Shit. so you remember everything. I can remember. How did you not pass out? Well, I was thinking I was in and now just going, ah, I was thinking I was yelling out, where's the ambulance? And it seemed to take an eternity while you're sizzling on the ground. <laughs> um, and then, and it finally turns up and they chuck me on the gurney and they put me in. And then I remember yelling out for, to put me some drugs in me, but they weren't sure how much they should put in or anyway, I was just, it was just, I was in a world of chaos. So I passed out in the ambulance, then I woke, reawoke as we arrived at the uh, hospital. So, so, so at that point in the, in the ambulance, when you're lying on the road, you, you must be thinking, I'm going to, I'm going to die. I wanted to die. Yeah. Because, so I'm disappointed that I'm still alive. Yeah. And I'm actually yelling at the police to shoot me in the head. Uh, but it's. Like, finish you off. Yeah, finish me off because the pain is so extreme that I don't think I can actually. The, the mm. mind can't process the mm. extremity of the bullet burning my internal organs. So I'm actually yelling out, but it's a beautiful afternoon in sunny Point Chevalier, Auckland. <laughs> and people are looking out their windows going, who is this crazy maniac the police had to shoot? So, you know, living off all of that to go, when I see shootings now, if I hear anything about people jumping off, I go, what's the real story behind the article? Mm. That's that's how I look at the news. What's the real story? Because that's just the headline. Yeah. So then you, you're taken to hospital. What does the what does the recovery look like? Do they put you in a coma? They they put you on enough morphine to uh, knock you out for how many days? I remember no, not how no. many days. I remember really? the the I remember them cutting my clothes off and putting some drugs in me, and I, that's I passed out just then. Okay, and then I woke up in the hospital room, and it was like a big shock. It's like now I'm in a new world, and the new world is. I've got my guts cut wide open, and it is extremely painful. And the first thing I think about when hospital was, I hope my dad doesn't know. Mm. So that's the first person I thought of was my dad. Why? Because the, the uh, like embarrassment yes. or shame or yes, absolutely. I've brought all this embarrassment and shame all upon the family, and now everyone's going to know that I'm an effing loser. I'm an effing piece of this and that and blah blah blah. So you Which sort of, of reinforces the story you've been telling yourself. Yes, I'd been telling myself for that for a while. Even though I was the smiley guy, making people f- laugh, making them feel good, and behind closed doors, I'd just be exhausted. Mm. But isn't it funny that that was your first your first thought? You think your first thought would be, "Oh fuck, I failed. I'm still here," or, "Oh my god, I survived. This is amazing. This is my second chance." But no, no that no. was not no. How well, much time had passed, like between being taken to hospital and? You're coming out of sedation. Oh, so Do you know, like a day, two days, a day, a day. I think it was the next day. And then, then, then what happens? The oh, well, I've got police in my room now. Watching. Oh, like police guard. Yeah, police oh. guard. Just in case I miraculously get out of bed, which I can't move. <laughs> um, so the police are guarding um, somebody who can't move. Um, he's got his guts cut wide open, and um, I suppose they're just following procedure. Um, and I'm messed up and. I meet Obi-Wan Kenobi, a.k.a. my new lawyer. And he comes from upstairs out of the blue, silver-haired fox, and he introduces himself. He's a QC. And I thought, I don't trust any lawyers. Why would I trust the lawyers? But he's actually a really 
good man, and he informs me there's a whole bunch of people downstairs in the hospital waiting room who care about me. And I didn't know that because in my mind, no one cares about me. Yeah. In my mind, I'm not worth anything. So yeah, I, you thought everyone else would be better off without you. Yeah, absolutely. Please, you're gone. Yeah. Absolutely, and that's the <laughs> usual that I, I'm meeting people around Australasia, and I've seen interviews on, on documentaries about this. Is like people feel like they're doing somebody, they're doing people a favour. Yeah, they think they're a burden. Absolutely, hundred percent. And it goes back to what you were saying before about no, no one actually wants to die. They just want the hurt to stop. Yes, and they want to stop being an embarrassment or a burden yes, to others. Yes. Yeah. So what then? So then, what's the what's the recovery like? What's what's that process or procedure? Long time, like uh, like weeks, months. Um, so I'm seven weeks in Auckland Hospital, but my guts cut. What happened? So I've had so the emergency surgery I had. The bullet was still stuck inside me, so it was still making me sick. So I was just spewing oh, with up, spray, yeah, spray, spray, up green bile because this bullet is – and they can't see or find the bullet on CT scans or X-rays. It's actually hidden behind my lung. But there was some unrelated problem on my back because I'm lying on my back. And I'd get the doctor, one of the prettiest doctors I've ever seen. Well, she seemed pretty amazing at the time. <laughs> Maybe it was the morphine. Uh, Maybe it could have been the morphine. <laughs> but she said, hey, um, did they find that bullet? And I went, no. And she went, okay. So she starts digging into my back. They give me lots more morphine and plunk, digging around. And she pulls out some rib because they had to crack my ribs to try and find the bullet. Oh. So they cut me open and crack the ribs. They can't find the bullet. So she digs in the back. She pulls out a little piece of rib and she keeps digging. And um, she pulls out the bullet, and she goes, I found it. And I was like, can I have a look at it? I was like, you little bastard. But I was – That's only a tiny little thing. Yeah, Glock 9mm bullet. Right. Yeah, it's not, a, it's not a rifle bullet. Yeah, just a pistol bullet. Amazing. So she is, pulled is, is, it out. Is there much of a scar, or is it just like a tiny little – Well, not anymore, but it's the actual surgery. Oh, okay. The, the from, cutting open yeah. multiple times. So I had to have emergency second surgery, and then in that second surgery they had to – because my, my bowels was – were cut by the bullet and my spleen, so they had to give me uh, a colostomy bag. So now I had I was basically shitting out my guts from then on in for four months until I had a reversal operation. So I'm in pain seven days a week, 24 hours, and this time I can't hide because a lot of things we can do, we can distract ourselves and we're yeah. mental issues. There's no hiding anymore. Mm. It's quite a freaky movie that everything is loud, bright, and clear. The pain, the people in the room, me, I'm present for the first time, fully present, and it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, don't, yeah, did it suck or was it was it like a, I don't know, like a weight off your shoulders in a way? Because it's like now I've finally got to face the Tanifar or whatever. No, no, I wasn't. No. I was nowhere near there. Okay, I was still in. I was still in the multiple concrete barriers that had that helped me hide all this mm. pain. So I was just like, man, I'm in pain. I said, when this shit's going to ever end? Mm. So I'm still having police in there. My lawyer ended up having a, we had a court case in my room. Uh, the lawyer was present, um, actually told the police off for trying to rush the, the, the court case without him present. And then we had court case to get the police out of the room because my lawyer said, I can see they're not conducive to your priests and healing, having them in the room, stressing me out. And so from that day on, I didn't have police monitoring me and I was a very much more peaceful, well, semi-peaceful healing process. Um, my, yeah, just physical pain, bro. You, when you're in physical pain, you're burning, your internal organs, you're cut open multiple times. It's hard to rest. Mm. How, when, when does the physical pain stop? You're not in any pain now? No, 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 no. 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 But it, I have to 
so nine weeks all up in, in hospitals, yep. and I have to learn how to change my own wounds. I have to learn how to change my own shit bags, my own colostomies. <laughs> so basically, I'm dealing with my own shit every day. No shit, no shit, real literally, shit. Literally, my own shit. And I thought this is crazy. I'm having to deal with this shit, which is burning my my guts where they had to do emergency operation. Uh, I've got my own wounds that I have to tend to, which the nurse helped me tend. So I'm having to look at this and having to deal with and trying to find out how I got there. Mm. And my family, I'm, I'm, I'm recovering after I got out of family, uh, at a hospital at my family's homestead up in Whangarei. So it's freaked them out because they're bombarded by media as well. And no one's, no one's trained in media negotiations. Yeah. They're just trying to help crazy rob their son, their nephew, their grandson. Mm. Man. All right. Well, let's let's go backwards, and then we'll go we'll go forward to the recovery yeah. and the court case and stuff. So, um, you you've dealt with the call it what you want the Tanifa, the black dog yeah. depression whatever you you this had been like a recurring thing all the way through your your adult life. Like I I read you got um admitted to a psych ward when you were like twenty one. Yes, absolutely twenty one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Another mental breakdown, uh, psychiatric unit king seat. And, uh, what was that like? Wow, that was like a crazy one for the cuckoo's nest. <laughs> if you've ever seen that movie, yeah, anyway, you yeah, are Jack laughing. Nicholson and the chief. So that's right. I thought it was Jack Nicholson. I thought I was the sanest person there. Yeah. Um, You're going to nurse Ratchet. I don't belong here. I'm not like them. Well, that's what it felt like. Yeah. That's what it felt like. Is that like. the right place to send um, you know, a, a dude in his early 20s that's just having well, a. Well, you look, my parents signed the papers, and mm. my parents were divorced, and they were like, we don't know what to do with Rob. This is freaking us out. Yeah. Because I'd actually um, had an incident with the police again so what was that well i was um i went to the farm to my dad's farm when i was 21 to go and blow my head off with the 22 so the police got involved and i had to go to um shit man there was multiple times multiple things yeah i read there, there was there was one day somewhere in your 20s where you like tried three to, times three in one times. day yeah, yeah so i tried to gas myself drown myself and then the third one was to try and blow my head off so there was one little angel saying on my on my shoulder saying what if it could be better and the other one saying you know what to do let's clock out let's mm. get out of here but then so that's in your early 20s um then between that and Ju- July 2009, when the, the police shot you, so much good stuff happened in your life, So right? much good stuff so happened. So there was 2007, you won some big award for a play that you did. Yes. Uh, 2009, like just before the shooting, you're over in London with, with some play. Like from an outsider's perspective, everything was going good in your life. You were humming. Yeah, that's right. Our you had a four-year-old daughter as well at the same yes, time. Yes, who's now 19. And We'll, um, get, we'll get to that later. Yeah, and, um, and I say this... T- on the outside, it looked like I was living the dream, mm. but my whole life was falling apart. And all the shame, guilt, and failure stopped me from telling my friend who's just as far away as you are. Actually, I just had lunch with him before I arrived. Mm. So it was like all the shame, guilt, and failure was choking me to not say a word, mm. to tell, to say, hey, man, I'm in deep distress. I'm freaking out. Mm. I actually didn't know. I didn't have the words. Yeah. And now. What yeah. was um? What was the um? I don't know if you want to get into this or not, but what was the cause of the um shame, guilt, and failure? Because like from from an outsider's perspective, you you definitely weren't a fucking failure. Like no. you were doing ve- like professionally at least, you were doing very well. Yes, I was, but I, I suppose because I had unresolved trauma, which I didn't know, I had all. This, well, I'll get into it. It's yeah. like so. There's 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 a trail 
So every stuff that happens to us on the surface, if you're brave enough, you follow the rabbit warren down, you'll find the core. Like pulling on a thread of a T-shirt or something. Yes, absolutely. And it's one of the yeah. most scariest journeys that mm. people don't want to go on. That's why they have multiple therapies or well, they're just on the piss-taking drugs to help numb it. And yeah. I've played that game. I've played that game. Try and drink, drink my way out of the hurt. So unresolved trauma, and part of that was um, uh, I had, when I was a young man, I had three abortions with two girlfriends, and I was just... All the shame that how I was too young to, and they were too young, and the parents were no, they've got a future. Why are we going to have? You've just messed up these people's lives. So I'm holding on to those shame guilt. But did, did you did you sort of like pressure them into it, or was it a mutual? You just felt no. bad because no, I was uh, young. I was like right. literally, yeah. like six, fifteen, eighteen, and then twenty-five. Why did you hold shame about that? Because because well, that's a great. Because I've done something wrong. So if I, share, if I use these words right, and I'll, share, I'll steal them from Brene Brown. How good is Brene Brown? She's, I'm a big fan. I feel like she's, she's my auntie. Um, but, <laughs> so she said, um, guilt is I did something wrong. Shame is I am something wrong. And I felt both of those things. I did something wrong. I am something wrong. And then when I – so I'm, I'm going to move forward. So as yeah. I move forward doing shop bar, in the first year I had to go see a shrink again. Thanks to Mike King, he shouted me a shrink. Because I hadn't seen one for a while, and I had, all this stuff started coming up, being sexually molested, and I thought I was holding mess memories for somebody else. That's how my mind was dealing with this. Oh, you're holding like a memory stick. Someone gave me a memory stick. Oh, these aren't my memories. Mm. I must be holding this for somebody else. And I didn't realize that those memories were my memories of yeah. me that I'd suppressed. So I've got all this stuff suppressed, brother. That's and, and when I meet people who've been through trauma, even worse, way worse than I've been. We compartmentalize it to survive, so we pack it away to try and move on. But you don't realize throughout your life you're fight, flight, or freeze. Yeah, and your interactions, you don't even know that, are guided by those three pillars. And so, you, when when you don't know what's wrong with you, you just keep continuing this this way of behaving. Mm. And when I meet other people like me, male and female, who've been on the journey, uh, we've got so many similar traits. Yeah. Well, I've been doing this podcast for about a year and a half now, and I've interviewed maybe 70 or 80 people. And one thing you realize is everyone is carrying around a bag of shit. <laughs> it's just how big that bag of shit is. I've, I've actually yeah. found this quite cathartic. It's like therapy yeah, in its own absolutely. Way. Yeah, I, I totally get it. Yeah. I, I find what I do in my presentations to be quite cathartic and like a physical, mental, spiritual outlet mm. to help others show them like, hey, man, you're not crazy. You're hurting. Because I was told I was crazy. And then either that or I was dismissed. Yeah, who, who told you you were crazy? People were telling me crazy. Right. And, and, you know, and think about families. Families don't want to deal with your mental illness, which is, I'm not blaming families. I'm just yeah. saying they don't have the tools to deal with it. And our parents' generation and our grandparents' generation, this was, this was one of the ultimate shames to have, have somebody with mental, having a mental breakdown. So all of that stuff is buried and you're dismissed. Mm. You're either dismissed and dissolved or told to just shut your mouth. Yeah. Because how, how old are you? What are you now? I just turned 50. 50. So you're exactly the same age as me. See, I've heard you do some speeches and stuff and uh, you've talked about how it's um, it's a mouldy thing or a thing that happens in whanau's, but I'm exactly the same age as you. My family was the same and I, w I went to an all-boys school and it's like you'd never show the Brene Brown stuff that you're talking about. You never show any sort of vulnerability. You never cry. 
like it was um it was, you know it was a it was a whole it was how we were raised it was the waters we were swimming absolutely, in brother. absolutely brother so it's trying to sort of un- unpack all that and uh absolutely yeah. and then i've got a father who was in the army yeah so you oh, definitely a father also in the vietnam war mm. So he was dealing with his own trauma. He's, he's dealing with his own stuff, but you don't know that because you're a kid, right? Yeah. And um, you're a kid, and you don't know that your your mum and dad are going through stuff. You just and sometimes you think it's your fault, and mm. um, what the arguments are. But they're dealing with real human issues. Mm. Human issues. Yeah. Pay the mortgage, the job, <laughs> the kids, the food, the schooling. You know, yeah, all yeah. of that, and you don't realize that. And so I've got way more. More aroha for my parents realizing shit. They were pretty young trying to work shit out, mm. and society has society's got this unwritten rule that you get to a certain age you're supposed to have your shit together. <laughs> oh, mate, I had Duncan Garner on the podcast oh. recently, and we were discussing this because he's the same age as us. It's like, you know, when I when I was like twenty, I'd see fifty year olds. I think that, that motherfucker's got it all figured out, <laughs> <laughs> and then you get there and you're like, oh no, everyone's just figuring it out as they go along. Yes. Yeah, the, and, and, the older I get, yeah. the realise the less I actually know. Yeah, and I, brother, you know, it's like releasing all of that. We're holding a lot of guilt, and we're all these expectations from people who don't give a shit about us. Mm. Yeah, and, it's, and I, well, I heard this great thing: is like the best weight you can lose is the weight of other people's expectations mm. of you, because that will bog you down. Yeah. What people think of you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. But the, the, um, so before two thousand and nine, there, there was some. Um, like, how, how often did you have like um, like an episode where things started swirling? Like, there must have been some happy periods or yeah, some calm yes, periods. Oh man, it was yeah. amazing periods. Like that was either way up there or was way down here. Yeah. Have you been diagnosed with like bipolar or anything? Like oh, that? my my former therapist said I had bipolar yeah. traits, which I thought was really lovely. But um, <laughs> if I look at but if I look at humanity, man, we're all bipolar. Yeah. yeah. It's just we're all a little. We don't. No one wants to be diagnosed with anything. But I don't get caught up in the diagnosis anyway because you can be caught up in that doctors are going, you're this, you're bipolar, you're an alcoholic. I'm not saying me, but you, know, yeah. you start yeah. handing out these labels, people start to think that's all they are. Mm. You know, I, I just boil it down to you're hurt. Mm. Okay, let's have a look at that. What do you need? You're hurt. Mm. Well, we get stuck in this bullshit mm. uh, treadmill that just goes around and around in circles. Mm. I, I just can't um – I don't know. Like this, this is the first time we've met today, but yeah. I've, I've been following your work closely since um, since after the 2009 incident, and you've, you've done some great work in the mental health field since then. But I just can't imagine that you were not a great communicator. Before, you, know, you know what I mean? Like you were, you were a playwright, 
a very successful playwright, so you're good at communicating to an audience. Why were you not good at um, speaking about your own shit? That's right. That's why do you think actors take up acting? <laughs> <laughs> so they can be someone else. That's right. <laughs> why do you think artists want to? Okay. Why do you think artists want to be joining the arts so they can express stuff that's not directly about them, okay. but it's about this thing? Okay, dumb question. Uh, but dumb no, question. but no, it's not a dumb question because <laughs> even artists sometimes forget. Um, and uh, and uh, you know, I've got a lot of good friends in the arts still, and. Uh, I know they're challenged by this because the art form is also like sometimes like religion. It can be a barrier to your real healing. You can yeah. hide behind it. It's a great barrier to hide within. Uh, and, and it can save you too, but it's also a hindrance because you've got one thing in front of you that you're constantly using to keep in front of the hurt. Mm. Sorry, I'm putting this in the front of the mic. But yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, let's go to the um, recovery. So you're in hospital seven weeks, did you say? Nine weeks all Nine up. weeks, nine weeks. Did you? Um, did they have therapists that came in to see you, or did you have a therapist oh, on? i tell you what, I had the best. I had the uh, hospital psychiatrist, and she turned up in this 1980s suit with these big, these big oh, like shoulder, shoulder pads. <laughs> and it was like, I don't know, sort of like a, this blue block colour. And she came in here, she came with an assistant, and she went, hi, Rob, I'm the hospital psychiatrist. And I just want to sit down with you. And, and she started to ask me some questions, and then she said, you know, what's happened to you is normal for somebody with depression. And I was like, depression? Oh, that's like that John Cohen thing that I saw on the ads. <laughs> Are you always writing hope into the sand? Um, yeah, all of that. But yeah. I, can I just share a little on her side? Yeah. That when she said about the John Cohen ad, when John Cohen would speak about his problems on the TV and no one was around – I'd be telling John to shut up because him talking was irritating my mm. demons. And so as I go around Australasia, sometimes me talking irritates other people's demons because mm. they don't want to hear it. They've, they've drunk enough, done enough drugs, or done enough whatever they have to squash it down. Mm. And when someone else is speaking as freely as you and I are, on the couch over there could be somebody going, what's those two shut the F up because, man, it's freaking me out. And so I understand that now. Before I used to think I was I was the problem by for, for talking about it. I used to – I've been made to think that I was crazy because I was speaking out aloud. What I realize is you're crazy if you don't address this. Mm. Yeah, John Kerwin, um I, I had uh, Sir John Kerwin on the podcast last year and I, I gave him um, flowers for what he's, what he's done. Like he – he, he like he he was the trailblazer in this yes. um, mental like he put everything on the line. I remember listening to talkback radio, and when um, you know that that there was there was one talkback host that talked a bit had a phrase. He goes, "Oh, so, oh, someone's got the Kerwins," like it mm-hmm. just sort of talked about depression flippantly and uh, almost made a joke about John Kerwin in a way. John Kerwin put everything on the line, absolutely, and, and he's a big part of the reason that Mike King and you and everyone else that has come since it feels a little bit freer to talk about these things. Yeah, these people were trailblazers for me, hundred percent, especially as a male. Yeah. As a male, I was talking specifically for me as a male. And so, you know, you talk about Sir John Kerwin, Mike King. Mike King helped me on my journey. And um, did, you, did you know Mike before 2009? Or? No. I mean, of course I knew who he was, yeah, yeah. but I didn't know him at all. So my mental breakdown, I ended up on the Nutters Club, which was uh, the, His which radio is still, show. Yeah, which is still yeah. going. Uh, it's a great show. Um, talking about mental health openly. And I'd never met – so I met – Mike King and, a, and his right, one of his right-hand men, uh, Boris Sogratov, and I'd never heard two males ever speak so openly and vulnerably and normally about mental health, and it freaked me out. 
I thought this must be an alien planet. I've never heard men speak like this before. And it, it helped change the game for me. Not then, because it freaked me out, but much later down the track when I started the shop bro journey, mm. I realised where the doorway was because two brave males showed me what it's like to talk normally about your mental health. Yeah. I suppose um, in a way like the Nutters Club and that platform that they gave you, that's um, it's kind of like the Brene Brown thing. Eh? It's yes. like you show vulnerability and it's like you put your cards on the table and then lets the other person know that it's a safe space and they can put their cards on the table too. But I, I heard another podcast that you did and you talked about how this is – way before 2009 in the shooting incident where you got hooked up with a priest or something and the priest tried to like get through to you by sharing some of his vulnerabilities and then you responded by just saying like nah I'm all good or oh it wasn't a priest it wasn't a priest it was um but I understand where they're coming from it was actually Victoria Park market in the park mm-hmm. just yeah, next door just in the park just next door so somebody had seen something was wrong with Rob and um and this Maori sort of Gentleman, not sort of, Māori gentleman, a brother, sort of like an uncle. Someone said, maybe you should talk to Rob. And he said, hey, meet up for a, meet up for a chat. Oh, yeah, 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 because we're planting trees together. Anyway, he starts sharing stuff about his personal upbringing and uh, it was about child being abused as a young man. And what I realised what he was trying to do is what I'm doing and what Mike's done and what John Kuhn has done is that he was doing the – I call it the reveal to heal. Mm. So he's revealing some vulnerability to open the door for me to know that it's safe to talk about something vulnerable. Yeah. But I was in such deep denial. I was going, why is this guy telling me this crap for? There's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with me. Mm. I keep repeating that in, in my mind. Because that's how scared I was. But I thought later on, much later down the track, after being shot, after recovering, I went, what an awesome man to be that brave enough, be that brave to come and talk to me and open up just a little bit about what happened yeah. to him so he could reach out to me. I understand it now. I didn't understand it then. Yeah. God, there's, um, there's a lot of... I mean, there's a lot of parallels with uh, with you and me and our journeys. Thankfully, thankfully for me, my rock bottom hasn't been as deep as what yours is. Um, but there's a lot of par- parallels. Were, were you an, always a all good person? Yeah, all good. Oh, totally, bro. <laughs> yes. Well, you know it, eh? You know it. When you know it, you know. Yeah, I was totally all good. All good. All good. And then I'll make you feel good about you too. Yeah. And then, oh, you'll leave and I'll be tired. Like, oh, thank God. I'll just have to put on my real face now because oh. I'm just tired. But I wasn't but always. You constantly had a mask. I, I suppose not constantly. I suppose it's just confusing why my thoughts are swirling. Yeah. Uh, while I'm going, a massive emotional ups and downs. And then you add alcohol on top of that. You know, to try and drown it yeah. and have good times. I'm going to have good times, obviously. What goes up must come down. Oh, no, now I'm hungover and this shit's 20 times worse. Oh, and so... Yeah, it's a depressant. It's not good. It's not good. And it, it's. It, I used to use it quite a lot. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, the, so the recovery. So you're in hospital for a long time. Then when does the re- the stark reality of your situation kick in? Like the fact that you're in a, a whole whole lot of shit right now. Just when I woke up. That's when, <laughs> when I woke up in the hospital room and I was like, oh, and my body's on fire. Yeah. No, no, but I mean, like once you get past, oh, right, once sorry, you realise, you know, that's okay. Once you realise, okay, I'm, I'm going to live. Like I literally I dodged a bullet. And, and then – the, then you realise the legal implications of what you've done and your the consequences for your actions. Like, what are you? What does your lawyer tell you? What are you looking at? You, you think it's going to be a two month imprisonment? Tra- it, was tra- it was jail time. Yeah, but what those charges were for are for people who've done 
has, has a criminal history, like probably a long criminal history. So it was quite the uh, charges were quite extreme. So the, the lawyer was just giving it to me pretty plain, plainly. He said, like, you've got two charges, which is each uh, five years in jail, and another two charges, which is five years in jail. Look, what if I can get it down to one year, Rob? And I said, I'll be dead, meaning I'll take my life. Mm. I was so mentally, physically, spiritually fragile. Yeah. I was ready to go. Um, I was. I didn't realize also I had survivor's guilt. That, oh, why am I still alive? Why am I, when other people have died, why am I still alive? So survivor's guilt on top of all of that. Survivor's guilt about, about who? About me still being alive. Right. Why am I still alive? I should be dead. Yeah, but normally, I don't know when... I don't know much about survivor's guilt, but I'd, I'd think of it in a, like, say, a car crash situation if there's yeah, you and three other people and the other three people die and you survive. But yeah, what do you mean survivor's guilt with the shooting incident? Yeah, many I should be dead. Right. Like, other people were successful. Yeah. And okay. But also, let me just add to this, like, the hospital room next to me, um, this young Māori girl was fighting for her life. She had cancer. She died. And uh. then... I'm okay. I'm next door going, I'm messed up, and this girl's fighting for her life. And then on the, the I said, I'm seven weeks in particular in that hospital, a Chinese gentleman died in that same room. And so I'm like going, these people are fighting for their lives. Yeah. And this a-hole, this a-hole over here was trying to exit the planet. Mm. So all of that guilt on top of being alive and these two yeah. souls in the room right next door to me had passed away over a period of weeks in between each other. Did that sort of, um, I, I don't know, sort of firm up your resolve to live and get better in a way? Nope. No. No. No, I was just, oh, no, more guilt, more guilt. <laughs> oh, just let's just wear, how many, how many layers of guilt can I wear? Yeah. Just to emphasize how much of a piece of crap I am. But what was quite surreal was people just giving their love to me, turning up, friends, family, turning up to my hospital room, just going, we love you, bro, and me, like, just confused. I was confused. I didn't, I didn't believe I deserved any of this. And, and what are you like with the outpouring of love from uh, friends and family, maybe even people you haven't seen for years? Like, do you, you burst into tears when you see each and every one of them? Like, um, you, sometimes I get you, pretty emotional. Yeah. Like, I just saw two close brothers of mine uh, from the film world. And I just had lunch with them, and it's just, it's emotional because multiple reasons I'm getting emotional now is that mm. these two brothers stu- stood by me before, during, and after. And where some people took off. Some people yeah. I thought we were mates. I chatted to Mike King about this, and he goes, Come on, brother, have a look back. Think back to the time. Same thing happened to me, bro. These people were my friends, and they took off. Were you re- are you really surprised? And I was still. And then a couple of minutes later, I calmed down and actually, you're right. Mm. I perpetuated the circle so I could get into this party mode to hide. And I'm not saying they're bad, anyone's yeah. a bad person. It's just that I knew where to go to if I want to drown and hide. There's a drowning and hiding circle called a party over here. <laughs> Yeah, and if you're no longer, yeah, 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 I get that. Anyone that's had like drug or alcohol problems, it's like, um, yeah, you, you need to get rid of those friends, I guess. They, yeah, but you're good know. time friends or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and I didn't know that. Yeah, you know, and I and but it's good in a way. It's like a, it's like a purge, isn't it? It's like shaking an apple tree, and yeah, you know, the, the what the apples that stay on the tree, they are. That your life is, yeah, and and that's who we were then. Yeah, yeah. they're different now. I'm different now. Yeah. But my mates who still stood stood behind me from that day, and I see them, man. I get emotional. Mm. I get emotional because I go, ah, oh, I'm just going to tell them that I love them. 
Oh yeah, I love you too, bro. Okay, yeah. Are <laughs> <laughs> uh, they better, better, better with it now, knowing yeah, what you've yeah, been yeah. through? Or yeah, are they still they, a bit awkward no, about no, it? No, no, they are. But you know, it's yeah, like yeah, a couple yeah. of times. Like, oh, yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> but um, but that's still good because that's just how they are. That must yeah. be how they are in their whole life, not just towards me. Yeah. But the cool thing is, I am. I've I've got the courage to say it to their face because mm. I mean it. But being a being a theatre guy, have you always been a? I find people I know that are in theatre. This is a sweeping generalisation. They're, they're quite they're quite huggy, touchy people. Have you always been a huggy, a I, huggy person, or no? Were you like kind of a just a uh, hey, what's up? I think I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not really sure. I think with the bros, you're always trying to be like the bros. Yeah. So right. whatever the bros, the bro code is, you just follow that. Whatever the handshake of the week is. Yeah, what the handshake <laughs> of the week is it? Just a fist bump? Is it whatever? Is like the chair, bro? Yeah. And yeah, you just yeah. follow that. You follow that. Yeah. Yeah. But, but theatre people are huggy people. Yeah. And I've turned into one of those huggers, especially when I want to meet genuine human beings, mm. bro. I think that's. I th- yeah, I think it's good. I, I've definitely become more of a huggy person as I've got older, and more. Uh, I don't know, in, in touch with my true emotions and stuff, and yeah. more able to say what I'm actually thinking, which I think's a. It's really cool. I like it. I like the journey I'm on. Same. You proud of the person you are today? I am. Yeah, I am. And I've got to sometimes stop giving him a hard time because he's travelled a far a long way mm. to get here, and I am. Um, what I found out is I'm doing shop, bro. Not found out. Some people reflected back to me. It's like, oh, that young character you play, which is your younger self, it's like your younger self was searching for your older self to save you. Mm. Your hurt little boy was trying, got you through this crazy journey with the amount of tools that hurt little boy in a man's body had. And now this older Rob gets to look after that younger mm. hurt little child that was stuck in time. Mm. Yeah. That's a hell of- Hell of a journey to get to where you are now, though. Well, well, <laughs> Not a journey you'd wish upon anyone. No, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. <laughs> and I thought I hated people until I got shot. And when I hear people say, oh, that bastard needs a bullet, I was like, well, actually, have a, have a, good, <laughs> have a good think about that. Yeah, yeah. You obviously, you haven't had a bullet in you. Mm. Once you feel it, you'll realise who you, you don't really hate people that much. Yeah. Well, I don't. Anyway, I'll just yeah. talk about me. Yeah, I've noticed there's been a few occasions in this last what 45 minutes that you've um, like referred to yourself in the, the third person as Rob. Is yeah. that um, is that something? Is that something you do intentionally? Like, oh, uh, you know, yeah, I suppose sometimes I do because I'm like, I, so I know it's me, yeah. but it's like there's versions of me throughout the timeline. And there's different versions of Rob of me, Rob Morgan. So some versions of you, you feel like you're talking about a different person. Yeah, that's yeah, right. right. That's right. Yes, yes. Mm. It feels like I'm talking. It's interesting. But I know it's me. Yeah. But I go, oh, that version. Oh, the two, the two point one, which was really messed up, and then I get the five. <laughs> what get what the version five, are we at now? I don't know, man. <laughs> Fifty point. I don't know. How good? Yeah. How good? Okay, so um. Then uh, the court case comes. So, you, so you're back at home. You're out of hospital. You're back at home. So multiple surgeries, multiple yep. court cases, and now that the body's slowly starting to heal, I start seeing a therapist. Yeah. So okay. So physically, you're feeling good. Mentally, you're still fucked up. Oh, mentally, I'm a mess, and physically, I'm a mess. Yeah. So both. But my, you're alive. I'm yeah. alive, but uh, and I've got the love of my family right. around me, who are freaking out because. It's not every day your son calls the police on them and is in the news that wanted to be dead. Yeah. So did you have like like um Fano like rally rally around? So there was almost someone. So you were almost like yeah. on suicide watch, I guess, in a way, or not well, that well, intense. 
I didn't feel like it was. Maybe yeah. they maybe they felt like I never had that conversation. Yeah. But the main thing is, oh, I mean, I was staying down the other end of the house, and my dad and my stepmom, and that was they were so looking you had after your own me. Space. They had my yeah. own space, so yeah. I couldn't have been too concerned. Mm. I mean, they were concerned, but you know. No, well, I suppose there's only so much you can do, rather, rather than. Well, I was a mess know. already. I was a mess already. Yeah, and you, I mean, you can't you can't keep someone in a padded room. Like someone's going to do what they're going to do, ultimately. Yeah, I think. And, yep, unless you tie them up. Mm. So, so, when is the court case? So, July 2009 was the shooting. So, because I can't actually physically attend a court case, so we had the first court case in the in my hospital room. Yeah. Uh, so to clear the police out of there, so I can actually have a healing space, and then I think 2010 is when I am able to walk into a courtroom um, with my guts cut wide open, but just stitched up. Yeah, and so, yeah. Have, they, have they given you like a, um, a sentencing in indication or a sentencing right, range? Like, no. Or did you still think you were going to jail? Uh, that, that The Crown versus Rob Mokodoka and the police, they were trying to put Rob away from jail, but the extreme... You're, you're talking about him as Rob yeah, again. Yeah, sorry, That's yeah. No, 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 it's just an interesting observation. Sorry, no, thanks for pointing that out. I don't, I didn't realise because I'm doing it in Shop Pro when I'm talking about the multiple yeah. versions of me. So thanks for pointing that out, brother. No, it's, um, it's, not, a, it's not a fault or anything, though. No, it's no, not something no. you should change. It's just yeah. interesting that the, the person that's sitting in front of me now almost... Disassociates disassociates from that person then. Well, I can see it clearly what yeah. I was going through. So yeah, he he said like we had to go through multiple court cases, and this lawyer was very savvy. So we had to navigate these judges. He knew were, and I'll say this very openly. He said they're box tickers for the police. Mm. They'll just I oh, am sweet as next tick. And just on the conveyor belt, you're on the conveyor belt to prison. And especially as a Māori male, you're on the conveyor belt, big time. So I had a very savvy, awesome QC lawyer who cared cared about me. And actually, this, and he he knew some people um, up in in the law, in the legal realm, who actually knew me and found out, actually, he's not a crazy psychopath. What I've heard is that he's actually, uh, he's a decent human being who spun out. So I suppose I've got, I've got a lot to thank him. I have thanked him. Mm. I sent him my documentary once I reconnected and I think he just went, oh, okay. Well, at least you're not doing anything bad. You're using your superpowers <laughs> for good and I don't, I don't need my surfaces again. Oh, yeah, I mean, you've got a second chance at life. Oh, I mean, if, if you count up the other attempts, yeah, I don't know what, what number of life we're up to now, but it's like you're, you're definitely not squandering it. No, I'm not. And now I get to meet, you know, I meet people like you, Don. We've yeah. never met. So what I, I, I really cherish as many like-minded souls who are happy to talk about these very crunchy things so other people out there in the world who don't have the words or the courage yet can breathe a sigh of relief and go, okay, maybe I can get to that stage. I'm just right down here at the moment struggling. Mm. Yeah. So I appreciate you, brother. That's what I'm trying to say. I I appreciate you too. And as I was saying before, from doing this podcast, you realize that everyone's carrying a bag of shit. It's just how big that bag of shit is. And um, and I'd I'd like to think people can go can can hear your story and go, okay, well he got through that. I can get through this relationship breakup, job loss. (laughs) You know this guilt that I've got for whatever it happens to be. Absolutely. And and if I could just give, I just try and drop real simple gems for people. I was like, you didn't choose the hurt, but you can choose to heal, Mm. because we get stuck. In here? Yeah. Oh, well, that's it. Can't change anything. Well, I was like, well, you're not a tree, bro. You can move. <laughs> so um, I was like, oh, I can move too. I can move to help. But it's just trying to – it's easier said than done when you're when you're in that fight or flight all the mm-hmm. time. 
and you're, it's like you're literally walking through a storm that no one can see. Yeah. 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 So uh, what happens in court? Oh, so the, the, so the lawyer is amazing. Lawyer is amazing. Um, uh, what do you get? Like community, some community so, service. So or? the lawyer got me out of the prison sentence. Well, I mean, look, look, like it makes sense, right? Like prison. Why would why would they send you to prison? Well, because this is. Well, I, I know you like you fucked up monumentally, but like prison's not a place to send someone that's just mentally mentally right. unwell and twenty in their life. Yeah. So this is how the lawyer told it to me. He said, "Look, Rob." Because you were filmed on the street by the news, and the public saw you, they they need the police to and the crown to to see you publicly get your ass kicked. Mm-hmm. So he's basically well, said, make an example. Of yeah, you. yeah. He basically said it's a grey area, and yeah. I and as messed up as the system is, I actually created that event, mm-hmm. so I can't blame anybody for that event other than myself. So I created this event, which took a long time for me to get my head around, by the way. Mm. I was blaming everybody in the world but me. Yeah, did, how, long, how long did it take you for the um, acceptance or ownership? Years, up a couple, couple years. of years. I'd say a couple of years. Right. Who were you, who were you, who were you pointing the finger at? Oh, everybody. As, it's everybody's fault. The police's right. fault. It's the police's fault. It's people who well, like hurt the, oh, me. The, the police should have had tasers instead oh, of the guns. Yeah, or... and the police, uh, oh, everybody in my life, it was their fault. Yeah. And I was actually, I had a, my cousin and his wife, who loved me, and they said, hey, um, you know, if you didn't call the police on yourself. <laughs> and they knew I was mentally fragile. And I didn't like hearing that, bro. I didn't like hearing it. Because when you're hurting, you yeah, need someone yeah. to blame. You caught them on yourself, yeah. so actually, it's you. It sounds like they told you in a really uh, nice, gentle way, though. Like they not, totally, not yeah. giving you a boot up the ass. No, but, but just I a, was, hey. bro. I was like, you could tell I was like mentally, un- I was fr- yeah. unstable, fragile, physically fragile, mentally, spiritually, all of that. They saw mm. that, but I really love them for that because I hated hearing it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a bit of bit of pill to swallow, isn't it? No one wants to hear that. So you get through the court case, um, and excuse the pun, but did it feel like you dodged a bullet? <laughs> I'm um, sorry. No, no. I'll I, edit that out. That was no, terrible. No, you can keep it in there, bro, if you want. Uh, I did feel like I dodged a bullet because yeah. I thought if they did go to prison, I literally was going to take my own life. Yeah. Because I was, bro, I was paper thin, yeah. mentally fragile. My whole guts were still cut wide open. Um, everything mentally, spiritually messed up. But so I did feel like I dodged a bullet. Um, and I was very so grateful. It's, it's okay for you to say it, but I feel like yeah. I can't say it. Well, it's not my joke. That's right. I pinched it off you. Um, shot, bro. And um, see, and us normalizing this thing about to talk about mental health and, and mental breakdowns, we've got to put light on the humor is helping to relieve the, the heaviness of what we're talking about. So mm. I totally get it. Um, and I was very grateful because, oh, cool, I don't have to take my life now. Where well, I was going to do that before. So was that? Does that sort of feel like so when when um, the sentencing happened? So you've got that big, that, this this big sort of hurdle or you know, obstacle or whatever you want to call it in your life over and done with. Was that the point where you feel like you could take a deep breath and start rebuilding? Uh, yeah, kind of. Yeah. It's just that there was just one step out. I had to rebuild. Like I was still mentally, physically walking wreck mm. and so navigating all of that having to change my own wounds was a good lesson of like you have to deal with your own shit Rob literally mm. and you have to what, what's involved with changing your changing your dressing uh, so your colostomy bag oh, okay. yeah. so they 
So stop going to the toilet through your bowels, and now you're out your stomach, and they put your lower or large intestine, and they poke it out. Mm. And so because it was an emergency operation, it's burning your feces. My feces was burning the shit out of my skin. So basically I'm trying to clean the wound mm. and get a clean fresh on. And you're literally trying to hang out, have a social, trying to be normal human, go to a supermarket or a cafe with a friend, and you shit yourself. All over your t-shirt, and I'm sprinting out of that cafe as fast as I can. So, learning how to navigate that—that's uh, yeah, a lot. And seeping, my guts are still seeping out, uh, so I had to keep changing, cleaning my wound because they had to cut me mm. open from the belly button to lower chest. So I'm navigating that as well as, as just trying to be normal. Mm. Find out what normal is. That's what I was trying to. What is normal? Yeah. Is there any normal? Yeah, there's a couple of people I've had on the podcast. I've had this um, former wakeboarder called uh, Brad Smaler, who's now a uh, quadriplegic, and he's got a permanent colostomy bag. And I had Di Henwood on, who's had uh, bowel cancer, and he had um, a colostomy bag for for a while. And I suppose I don't. I, I suppose in their position, because they didn't really bring it on themselves. You could have like an element of self pity. Did you? Did you have sort of self pity? Oh, yeah. I had tons of it. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> I was writing about. It. I'm a writer. I was writing. I was trying to write it all mm. out, trying to write it out of me to get. I don't know. I was, because I was burning my my skin. I was basically writing about that, and I was moaning about it until I was at my friend's barbecue and my my mate's dad. He goes, "Oh, you got one of those too." And he pulls the shoot up. And I said, well, "How long is yours on for?" And he went, "Life," mm. and I just shut my mouth. I stopped it because oh, you knew yours was only temporary. Yeah, because mine was four months, mm. and I thought, "What are you moaning <clears throat> about, Rob?" So you know, every you know, your pain, everyone's pain and hurt is valid. It's just get a perspective when you meet somebody who's going through something <laughs> even bigger for yeah. life. Yeah, there's, there's there's um a saying I've seen on um Instagram that comparison is the theft of joy, and it's true. It's a good one, but you can always compare down, and there is always someone worse off than what you are. Absolutely, and but also. People get caught in the pain Olympics. Like, my pain is worse than anybody's mm. in the world, and no one's ever going to understand. And then on the podium, you've got the bronze medalist going, Oh, my pain is hurting me every day, but it's not as bad as that person's because they're telling me. <laughs> but pain is pain, brother. Yeah. Hurt is hurt. Yeah, it's just getting a perspective. There's no on winner. It. And there's no winner. Yeah. There's no winner. Okay, so um, the court case is over with. We're rebuilding Rob. When do you start to come right? How long is it? So July 2009? Yesterday. <laughs> oh, no, I, I'm sorry. I, I understand you're still a work in progress. Yeah, and yeah, I totally If you if you're, um, suffer from mental illness, it's it's never going to fully go away and it's a constant work on. Um, but when did you start to feel like your, your old self again or your new self again? Well, it's interesting because you – as you're healing, you have to change your ways because can't physically do this, can't physically do that. Mentally, it's hard because your body's not working. You have to evolve. And now as I got better physically, I started to go back to my old dumb ways. I'm like, let's have some beers. Let's get on it. Blah, blah. And I mentally started to fall down again. I went, what's wrong? I'm back. I'm like, I'm feeling fit again. What's wrong with me? It's like, oh, you idiot. You can't go back to the old ways now. In my evolution, and anyone's healing evolution, you have to keep moving forward. If you try to go backwards, you're going to sink back down to where you were. Yeah. And that's, that happened to me a few times. And that's okay. I mean, I was, I was with good people, but when I realized that, I was like, oh, shit, this mm-hmm. is not good for my mental health. Yeah. And um, what about medication? You on medication now? No, my new medication is BJJ. What's BJJ? Uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Oh. Oh, is it really? I just taking it up. I'm like, wow. I'm pretty new, but yeah. I have a lot of friends who uh, have done this. Yeah, a lot uh, of people swear by it. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Y- absolutely, yeah. 
and what the key thing a mate of mine said is that it's mental and spiritual health mm. because you're physically in your body. And I went, oh, okay. You get, a, you get tried a couple of free classes. I tried a couple of free classes. I was hooked. And now it's it's one of the many tools that I have on my healing tool belt. Yeah. So it's a physical outlet. Because uh, you're very present. Because mm. if you're not, you've got somebody about to choke you out. <laughs> yeah, you've got to be and in the moment. Bar you. So you're very much not thinking about what's happening in 10, 20 minutes' time or uh, 20 minutes ago. You're like, I'm very present. Um, and I really enjoy it. And yeah. I enjoy that camaraderie amongst the club and team. And it's just, it's just bloody good for my well being. Yeah. What else have you got in your tool belt? Because I, I don't think there's. Um when it comes to like a mental health plan or a resilience plan or whatever you want to call it, I don't think there's a one size fits all. No. You, you gotta, you gotta do the work yourself and find out what's right for you. But yes. what else you got? You, you do, do journaling, you do any ice baths or cold water therapy? Well, look, or? I go to the ocean when it's cold. I go yep. to the ocean when it's a hot day, rainy day, sunny day. I'll go to a river, a lake. Cold water is the best. Cold water is good for me. And, yeah. uh, and I, I do purification, meaning like I go in there doing karakia for myself to wash off what I don't need hanging around me, especially after I finish shop bro presentations. Uh, midi midi, romi romi, which are Maori forms of massage, which are physical and spiritual. Or if I can't find a Maori masseuse, I'll go to a Thai, because Thai can crunch the crap out of me, <laughs> um, and fold me upside down. <laughs> and I really enjoy that physical, like, loosening up the limbs and so I've got multiple and I, I share this with everybody I've got a tight three three people that I trust with my life I can text or call anytime night or day and I encourage other people to get a tight three because it's too much for one person to hold mm. and the good thing about my tight three it's grown to five people that I trust in my life um, is that if you're swirling that person's there to help you. And if you're the person helping the one swirling and it's too much for you, you call in the other people. So you're, you're putting a circle of aroha and hope around that one person and the three of you or five of you can navigate it better than one. So it's basically to even the load. I think that's a good idea as a formal sort of – I mean, you hear about people that go to Alcoholics Anonymous and they have a sponsor, you know, someone yes. that they can call any time, day or night. But yeah. we, we don't do that for mental health, do we? No. And, um, and we, we, but everyone yeah. says, everyone says, like, uh, if you're ever feeling down, you give me a call, day or night. But it feels like it's just lip service. Yeah, and that's why I've taken a – I took it that step to go, I'm uh, going to nominate these people. And formalise it. And formalise it. And, you know, it's okay if they go, oh, actually, it's a, it's a bit too much for me, bro. Yeah, okay, thanks. Now I know. Uh, this person over here, this is another person. Mm. So you just build. And I've heard people say, I don't have a tight – I don't have a tight one in my circle. And I've actually said to them, sounds like your circle is crap. Mm. Um, if you can't ask one person in your circle – to be, you know, a, a, a guardian, a kaitiaki, you better change your circle, yeah. bro, because that means you, you're, it's not a safe place to be. Mm. I like that. So when did the when did the decision come to tour it and do shop, bro? Uh, as I said at the beginning, I, I watched this on YouTube last night, and anyone can watch it. Um, it's a, it's a hard watch, and after watching it last night, I thought, ah. Oh, you know, it must be exhausting for you to even come over here today and like chat about this for an hour. No, no, no. This is my every day because it's not heavy for me. It's not. It's not heavy for me. It was heavy for me. It's light for me. Do I still have sh- shed some tears about it sometimes? Yeah, but it's nowhere near as heavy as it's ever been for me. I'm at probably the best shape mentally, physically, and spiritually that I've ever been at. But I know that I've got to keep working on it. I can't, can't just stop like go on cruise mode because <laughs> I'll start to slip backwards. I've actually, the thing about prevention is you've got to be actually put it in into action. 
you got to be actioning. It's great to have all these tools, but if you're not practicing any of these tools daily, then it's just great thoughts and ideas. Oh, yeah. And then when, when the shit hits the fan and you go and grab the tool, you haven't actually used it before. You're like, oh, well, I dropped it. Oh, oh I'll grab the other one. Oh, I dropped it too. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden you've got like, had a great – you think you've got these great tools which you've never practiced using. Mm. And I had to figure out that the hard way, bro, that happened to me so many mm. times. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's a great one. That's a great one. And then when the shit hit the fan, they'd all fall out on the floor and I go, I was lost again. Yeah, but that's the thing. I mean, the easiest time to do the work is when you don't need it, eh? But it's like, I mean, who does that? You know what I mean? It's like, oh, I don't need it. I'm all good. I totally, Until you're not. And that's what yeah. I, I used to do that all the time. Yeah. But now I've had to use these tools and I encourage other people to use whatever tools you need because we're all same, same, but different. And you might need a little vert, different variation of this. Mm. So figure out what you need. And when you're swirling in that storm of suicide ideation and you're brave enough to go, bro, I'm spinning out. I need help right now. Uh, the best advice I've ever got, and it's from my first cousin, Clint Edmonds. He said to me on the phone, what do you need, cousin? Because you could hear that I was distressed. And I'd never everybody have ever heard anyone ask me what I need. And I realized why, because I never told anybody I've been suicidal. <laughs> so to have somebody yeah. actually listen without judgment, not go, oh man, we, we better medicate you, or geez, we better call the cops, or call the ambulance. It's like, there's no panic. The person who I trust in my life, number one in my dining list is my cousin, just asking me what I need. And what I really like about that is it puts the ball back in that person's court to figure out, what do I need? Mm. Because no one's ever asked me. Do I need to cry? Do I need to go to the gym? Do I need to hit the punching bag? Go to the ocean? I don't know, but at least now someone's put it in your court to ask what you need. So it's actually having to build the capacity, getting the person to build it for themselves, mm. but giving them a platform to, yeah. to work off. And did I, um, did, I, did I hear this on a podcast or did I hear this somewhere? Um, after one of your shows of Shop Bro, um, you got the bash. Someone... Oh, yes, my cousin. So, is One this my true? Own, yeah, yeah, my own cousin. Really? My own cousin. So we don't have alcohol around Shopper anymore. Okay. Um, Was we, this the catalyst? Oh, yes. Yeah, sure. oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so when we, so occasionally we'd been to, I'd like to say, international theatre festivals. You know, everyone likes to grab a wine, we'll grab a beer, we'll grab a champagne, and we'll watch this thing about suicide for some weird reason. <laughs> they want to drink. So we're at this art gallery. It's an art gallery in, in the small community of Taniatua. And, um, Tame Iti is our host. He's an awesome host. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's an awesome host. I met my new cousin I never met before. What I didn't realize was uh, he's had his own issues. Mm. And um, everybody, not everybody, I always say it's actually most people were drinking alcohol before I was even oh, presenting. Getting some prison. <clears throat> they getting, yeah, that's it. Pre drinks. And, and um, this cousin, I sort of listened to my instinct. He said, Yeah, I'm feeling real nervous about what you're about to do. And I'm saying, whoa, because I didn't know. I was like, we're related. How cool. I've got a new cousin. This is awesome. This is what I'm thinking. And he was like, I feel uncomfortable about what you're doing. I was like, well, I haven't even started. Oh, it's going to be sweet as. So he keeps getting on the piss. People are drinking and laughing. He's drinking on the piss. He... In the first five he's minutes, he's just brooding. He's brooding. He mm. he he does. He goes to the. I, I share this in Shop Bro. So stuff that happens to me on my life journey gets put into side Shop Bro that presentation. Oh, so the play just keeps getting longer <laughs> and longer. Well, I, well, not, <laughs> you edit some other. I edit yeah, stuff yeah. now. But the thing is, it just it, it highlights that 
if somebody is swirling already and they've got this mask on mm. that they're this person in society and you had alcohol and drugs, it amplifies that by a thousand. Mm. So what people are drinking, I had a couple of beers that night and I was like, oh, yeah, I feel good. I'm, I'm getting so much love from the community. I didn't realize that cousin was still drinking and sizing me up. Yeah. He was waiting to see, waiting for the last person to leave to smash me over. I didn't realize that. So what happened... <clears throat> took me by surprise and I didn't take it too seriously because I'll oh, better talk my way we'll just get this calmed down but I didn't realize how drunk he was mm. and what an aff- he was in a fury bro so Tommy Eti ended up saving my life because this dude knocked me to the ground he was quite a big boy and I was like oh shit I'm in big trouble I misread this whole situation with with, with my rose tinted glasses going oh man he's gonna oh this cousin's looking at me because he loves me no this cousin wants to smash the shit mm. out of me because he's hiding from his own stuff yeah. and drinking up a storm so from that Tommy saved my life very grateful very grateful to him we make sure there's no alcohol around ShopRo because it goes into those crunchy parts that you're hiding. And I say this to everybody, alcohol and drugs amplify your internal tunnifal or mental distress times a thousand. Mm. And um, <clears throat> and at one f- international arts festival, I forgot to tell the festival not to open the bar. And they had a mini panic attack. And it was, it was like, yeah, we're in wines. And I said, can you shut the bar? They're like, why? This is how we make money. Because I was oh, this happened, and blah, blah, blah. Oh, shit, you didn't tell us. I know. Anyway, I explained why I'm feeling nervous about everybody drinking. And this lady came up to me afterwards, really well-to-do lady, and she went, you know what, Rob? Why are we drinking? Coming to a suicide prevention play, you made me question why we're all drinking. Mm. Well, we should actually be having a cup of tea or water to actually process. And I thought, at least one person got it. The other people are like, well, it's not the bar for, man. I'm going to get on it. This guy's crazy. This is Netflix on steroids. And um, I totally understand it. We're in a drinking culture which normalizes certain things. And if you don't question it, we'll just continue these habits. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but we're around mental health and mental distress. No drinking, bro. Yeah. I, I feel like there is um, there's like a turning of the tide when it comes to alcohol. Like, uh, you, you know, I feel like if you, if you go out now and you say, oh, I'm not going to drink – you're not going to get the same sort of judgment you would have got even like five or ten years ago. I don't know. Maybe yeah. I'm wrong about that. No, everyone's a bit more, a bit more chilled out. Yeah. Depends what circles you are, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. You know, the yeah. more, the manlier, manlier ones. Uh, like, Come on, bro, what are you doing? <laughs> no, are you in a bloody lemonade or something? Yeah. Um, zero, 0.0, why are you bothering? Yeah, bro, yeah. why don't you just go home? Um, but that's okay. That's cool, man. I'm down with that. I, I laugh at that. That doesn't mean, you know, I don't take it personally. Yeah. And um, when you get out of bed in the morning now and you look in the mirror, you, do you like the Rob that you're seeing? Yeah, I, I, I take my mental health very daily. I do t- like uh, the Te Tapafa, which is the four walls, four pillars, uh, mental, physical, spiritual, and family and environment. It's the fifth one. Mm. And I check in on those every day inside myself. How am I mentally? How am I physically? How am I spiritually? How is my whanau, meaning my two daughters in particular? And uh, my partner and my environment. And I go, cool, my environment is safe. So I'm all about safe places, brother. So daily, I'm checking on my mental health every morning. Yeah. I wake up like that. Okay, got a sore knee. Okay, getting old. BJJ, you're an old man. Okay, <laughs> ouch. Oh, sore back and knee. Okay. But I'm okay. But, welcome, how's, but how's the mind? I'm okay with the body. Yeah. But, yeah welcome to the 50s. And um, But it's cool, bro. And I've got a, that's my diagnostic, my daily diagnostic. Yeah. I forgot to um, bring up and ask you some questions about your your daughter. So she was four years old at the time. So when 
Like, when, when did she find out about things, or how did she find out about <coughs> While she was in hospital coming to visit me, we didn't tell her. Yeah, at, at four, I suppose no, she doesn't need to know. Much. Doesn't yeah, need to. Yeah. She just needs to know Dad's sick and needs love. And she would turn up with my ex partner, who I'm really good friends with. Cool. And um, and just hold my hand and walk me around the ward like she was the adult and I was the child, mm. because I was had to relearn how to walk again. So my 19 year old now still doesn't want to see shop bro. But my 12-year-old daughter has seen Shopbro about five times throughout mm. with her mum and her aunties and her cousins. And, and her big thing for me was like, Dad, that's not going to happen again, is it? And I was like, well, actually, thanks for asking. But no, because Dad was hurt, angry, scared, confused. Yeah. And Dad's got more tools now. Dad knows he needs to talk about his emotions. So um, we're allowed to talk. And, by, and also I'm making sure that she knows that she's got permission to talk about her emotions. Yeah. Don't bottle that shit up, man. That explodes. Mm. Yeah, that's it. Doesn't go anywhere, does it? Yeah, no. It needs to be addressed sooner or later. And uh, yeah, if you address these things as they come along, it saves that pile of dirty laundry from getting bigger and bigger. Absolutely. But why, not, yeah. why does the um? So the 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 she's four at the time. She's nineteen now. Why does she not want to say it? Too hard? Yes, it makes her too emotional. Yeah. She knows what happened to Dad. She knows what happened to me. It's just like, like I don't want to see it and feel it. it just, she gets sad, you know. It's like, Dad, I don't want to see you looking hurt. I don't want to see you. Even though we just hung out on the weekend having a great time mm. and watching Netflix, eating movies. I mean, not eating movies, eating popcorn and ice cream. Still, it's okay. That's where she's at emotionally and mentally. Like, I don't want to see Dad in that space. Mm. Yeah, well, imagine how, like, how, how, di- how different her life would have been, like, had you been successful. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I... And I've had it's a, a lot. That's a that's a lot for a kid to carry around. Absolutely. So mm. I had a friend of mine. So when I survived this, as I'm on the healing process of hospitals, I had a friend of me, a friend of mine, say female, say to me, "I'm really grateful to see you alive and doing well." I didn't tell you this, but my dad took his life, and I was like, "What?" I've known this lady for quite a few years, and I never knew that. Mm. And she says, "I'm a, I'm the I'm the survivor of a." Of a parent who took his life, yeah. and I was like, I didn't. I felt instant aroha for her. I mean, she's a good person already, but yeah. but that really amplified my survival. Yeah, for my especially for both daughters, but for my eldest in particular. Mm. Yeah, that's really powerful stuff. Um, this is probably a great place to end it, but um, I, I know you've uh, given the the police officer involved um, a letter, but you don't know what the response was. It's very unlikely, but say he was to ever view or listen to this podcast, what, what, would you, what would you want him to hear? Just what I wrote in the letter, I am truly sorry I created that event and put you in that situation. I wasn't myself. I was somebody who was swirling in unresolved trauma, spinning out of control. So my aroha to you and your family, and I hope that you're safe and healing, and please um, know that. If I could meet you with my good friend, Lance Burdett, former police negotiator, over a coffee sometime, uh, that would be amazing. Lance Burdett actually said to me, Rob, I'm a policeman who had a mental breakdown in the police force. I'd be, I'd be happy to facilitate. So if that person is out there, just want to send my aroha, my respect, and just say, I'm sorry. I'm really, truly sorry. And 
I'm using this now to help people. And also, I'm trying to get into the police because I get invited into military bases, by the way. Uh, and so the police have been courting me because I'd be able to help them of how to deal with somebody in mental distress and help police look at their own internal systems, how to look after themselves. Yeah. So that's a process that comes in and out of the light by with occasional emails. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, whether or not that um, police officer involved – I suppose he's a victim in this thing as well. Yes, uh, yes absolutely. Whether or not he's forgiven you, that's that's out of your hands. But, yeah, but have you forgiven yourself? Uh, yes, I have. Yeah. I have. Now that I've unpacked where it all came from, I understand how that happened. And, I've, and I explained that in the documentary. Yeah. And I explained this in shop bro, uh, forums after shop bro presentations. It's kind of like my friend said, well, I see what you've done, Rob. You've synthesized. I was like, oh, what? <laughs> she said, you've synthesized therapy, theatre, and Maori culture to create a healing package. And I went, have I? Okay, I'm going to pinch that. But I want to share this. A lot of people... Help me get here, brother. I didn't, but when I didn't believe in myself, when I didn't think I was worthy enough along this journey. So I've got a lot of whānau and friends and new friends who've helped me on this journey to be here today. I feel like that's a great place to end it. Yeah. Keep doing your great work. You too, brother. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason you survived and you're definitely not squandering it. And I appreciate that. Thank you, brother. Thanks for this podcast. Mokadaka on the Dom Harvey podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you got something useful from that episode. Look, I know it was a hard listen in parts, but this is life. This is a reality. It's not always like a Pixar movie. So I can't thank Rob enough for sharing his experiences, as hard as what they are. Again, if this content has raised some issues or concerns for you, please go to the episode description for a list of numbers and resources that can help you. And if you have any feedback, you can find me on Instagram, DomHarveyNZ, or you can email me, DomHarveyNZ at gmail.com. This episode was made possible by my friends at Radix Nutrition and Generate KiwiSaver. Radix Nutrition is, in my opinion, the best thing to come out of the Waikato since the Chiefs, and their products are, in my opinion, the yummiest thing to come out of the Waikato since Richard Kahui. Check them out at radixnutrition.co.nz and support the legends who support the podcast. Radix, by the way, spelled R-A-D-I-X. And the newest podcast sponsor, Generate KiwiSaver, who are now officially my KiwiSaver provider. I switched over as a way of thanking them for the support, and it was easier and quicker than I expected. And totally pain-free. Actually, form-free as well. All I needed was some ID and my IRD number, and that was it. Learn more for yourself at generatewealth.com. .co.nz. There you will find a copy of their product disclosure statement and the issuer is Generate Investment Management Limited. That website again, generatewealth.co.nz. Okay, thank you so much for making it all the way through. I am so grateful to have you along on this journey and I do hope to see you next week for another episode of the Dom Harvey Podcast. See ya. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.